You're about to listen to the IC News Podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Please don't forget, our show can only succeed with your support. Tell your friends. Share the link around on social media. Leave us a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And while we have your attention, take a second to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll get a brand new episode each and every Saturday. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Nearly 3,000 tons of stockpiled chemicals used in fertilizer cause an enormous explosion in Beirut, in a tragically literal example of shit popping off. An unnamed Conservative MP and former cabinet member is arrested on suspicion of rape, but retains the party whip, because apparently a 79-seat majority is just too slim a margin to risk sending a message to women that they are in any way valued. President Trump escalates his war of words with China by threatening to ban TikTok before swiftly moving on to also escalate his war on words by mangling an interview with Richard Swan. And finally, the FBI raid the home of YouTuber Jake Paul but are unable to find even a single scrap of talent. Hello and welcome, I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News, the only network that refuses to send journalism out to competitive tender and instead just throws the news at their completely unqualified mates. It's been an explosive few days here in our reality, both literally and figuratively. Earlier this week, Beirut was devastated by one of the largest peacetime explosions in history, as a warehouse in the city's port that had been storing thousands of tonnes of ammonium nitrate caught fire. With over a hundred people dead and thousands injured, protests against the Lebanese government are now mounting, as it has emerged that several officials had been warning about conditions at the warehouse for months. It was a horrifying example of how negligence and government incompetence can cost innocent lives. Over here in the UK, our own government's malfeasance tends to come heavily seasoned with a spicy dash of cronyism. It was a remarkably brazen week for Conservative hypocrisy, even by their standards, as Boris Johnson appointed 36 allies to the unelected House of Lords as thanks for their support for Brexit. As we move away from EU oversight, we've traded it instead for the oversight of cricketer Ian Botham. And let's not forget Boris's own brother, Joe, because it just isn't a pale imitation of the Republican Party without the nepotistic promotion of your own impressively talentless family. Oh, and a former MEP, Claire Fox, who has staunchly refused to ever apologise for defending the IRA bombing of Warrington in 1993. And this was all after Boris himself has talked publicly and repeatedly about the need to slash numbers in the House of Lords. If he was any more full of shit, it would be unsafe to store him in a warehouse. The government's cronyism didn't end there, however, as this week more disturbing details emerged about the entirely backhanded way PPE contracts have been awarded to completely unqualified sources without first going out to competitive tender. 50 million masks acquired for the NHS have been declared not fit for purpose at a cost of £150 million of taxpayer money. In a contract awarded to an offshore banker and former affiliate of Liz Truss with zero experience in the field of medical acquisitions. This was all done under the cover of a need to move at efficient speeds in order to respond best to the pandemic. 
The entire UK now needs to brace itself for a new precedent by which the government can dictate just what constitutes a crisis, and as a result, just how much oversight they can conveniently bypass. The need for speed and efficiency is almost certainly likely to rear its corrupt head again when the Brexit transition period ends, and that's without even worrying about the fact that we need to rebuild post-coronavirus with a sense of urgency. We can all look forward to the sight of a sort of charming Tory fountain, with a cabinet stand on the top tier of it and piss hundreds of millions of pounds of public money directly into the pockets of their grifter mates on the tier below. Still, aren't you glad Jeremy Corbyn's not in charge? If, like me, you're finding the current level of government corruption and sheer incompetence utterly staggering, there's every chance you need some headspace and the opportunity to relax before every tendon in your body snaps out of sheer frustration. It's looking increasingly likely that foreign holidays are going to be a write-off for a while, but fear not, dear listener, there are always alternatives to enjoy right here at home. With an exclusive report on the Great British Staycation, we now go to our resident conspiracy theorist, Danny Sutcliffe. Holidays! They're fun, aren't they? We all love them. The smell of the sea, the sun on your face, the rep semen in your hair, they're all a part of the great British summer break. But this year, things are different. This year, the Illuminati released their genetically modified coronavirus in a ploy to allow Bill Gates to implant microchips in our bodies and the average British holidaymaker's plans were scuppered. But... Fear not, my sibling seekers of sunspray and STIs. There's a solution on the horizon, and it's one that also helps our economy to keep limping on like a lame donkey. I'm talking about staycations. You'll have heard the word from the lips of the Prime Minister himself, because if there's one thing he does well, it's to big up Britain. Say what you like about Boris, there's no denying that he's at least proud to be fucking useless at managing our glorious little island. And make no mistake, it is glorious, and there are loads of places right here in old Blighty that make fantastic holiday destinations. And who among us doesn't have a warm, tickly feeling in their belly when remembering those halcyon days of our childhood spent on a brilliant British holiday? Maybe you rode bikes at centre parks and laughed until you shit yourself when your sister fell out of a tree and broke her arm. Maybe you sat on the Brighton promenade, enjoying an ice cream and silently fuming that a bunch of tiny rocks sharp enough to shred your feet to ribbons isn't a fucking beach by any sane bastard's definition. Maybe you went fishing in the Lake District with your dad and accidentally ripped the bleeding spine half out of a tenchy's twitching body when you tried to remove the hook from its mouth. Maybe the image of that spasming fish is burned into your nightmares alongside the echo of your father's disappointed sigh as he crushed its skull against a rock with the heel of his hand. Where was I? Oh yeah, staycations! They're this year's Craig David, inexplicably making a comeback even though you thought they were dead. With foreign travel to countries with a coherent and well-managed response to the pandemic off the table, the only reasonable course of action is to flood Britain's campsites and beaches with our pasty white bodies. Brits from all over are flooding to the country's staycation hotspots, including those from Manchester, like me, because for some fucking reason, I'm allowed to, even though I can't go to me dad's house under the rules of the new lockdown. 
That's why we've come here to Cornwall instead. It's as close to a Spanish holiday as we could manage. Me dad's passed out and sunburnt. I'm drunk. The locals hate anyone who's come from more than ten miles away. And I don't understand a fucking word anyone's saying. Well, you know, look here. I'm not happy about a comparison like that. We love tourism here in Cornwall. We're just a little bit worried about all these people visiting at once and the risks it might pose to our vulnerable people. What? I don't understand you. Speaky the English, you fucking wurzel. Well, there's no need for that. I don't want to buy a rose. Piss off, will ya? Hands, face, space. Let's leave him alone, Ellen. Bugger's teasy as an adder. You're awful rude, you are. <laughs> and there we have it, everyone. The spirit of any good British holiday. Sun, sand and a few drinks and being as rude and inconsiderate as you can to the locals. Coronavirus doesn't have to spoil everything. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to explore what Newquay has to offer. I'm going to start by heading off to that campsite over there because I can see a bunch of 16-year-olds with happy gas balloons and I'm going to fight them until they give me some. I'm Danny Sutcliffe and I've had a lot of Jim Beam on holiday for IC News. <laughs> oi, oi, you little bastards! Like brother join you. I'll trade you for some Eckies. <laughs> I got a brand new combine harvester and I'll give you the key. Come on now, let's live together. As more countries are added to Britain's quarantine list and Aberdeen becomes the latest city to face a local lockdown, fears of a second wave of the pandemic are continuing to mount. But what does that mean for schools reopening in September? Is it safe? And can we truly reopen both the economy and schools without risking a disastrous surge of cases? We sent our demonic correspondent Red Redmond to a parallel world using a different method for managing the pandemic to see if he could find any ideas to bring back home. Children, if you're daft enough to have had some, you'll have seen far too much of them recently. Lockdown has forced all of us together when normally we'd be looking forward to getting rid of them for at least a few hours a day. With coronavirus cases now back on the rise and local lockdowns coming into place across the UK, we now find ourselves facing some difficult choices. It's now become very apparent that the British economy is a bit like your mum's legs. If we open up too quickly, people are going to get sick. Oh my god, you're an animal. I'm sorry everyone, the voice you just heard was Alan's. He's the parasitical demon that lives inside my soul, and he has absolutely no sense of professionalism. Alan, apologise to the listeners immediately. But I had a great eat out to help out joke to follow up with. You're no fun, you know that. I'd just like to get through one day at work without you embarrassing me. That's all. I'm sorry, everyone. I really am. Getting back on track, it looks like the government has realised that we can't reopen everything immediately without risking a potential surge. While outbreaks may be inevitable, our contact tracing system just doesn't look that well-beating yet, regardless of what Boris Johnson keeps insisting. With that in mind, and schools set to reopen completely in September, at least one member of SAGE is now suggesting that England may be facing a choice. 
do we prioritize our children's education and risk the hospitality sector collapsing, or do we all head to the pub and leave our kids to forage for algebra problems in the woods? It's a conundrum. But what if there was another way? I'm here on Earth Delta Tango Uniform 11 to 16. On this Earth, the suggestion that teachers should be the first sacrifice made to the pandemic is being taken somewhat more literally. That's right. In this dimension, Greater Manchester sits on a hellmouth. It's a bit like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except Eliza Dushku could probably work here without being sexually harassed. Here, the government have been forced to abandon the pretense that they're in any way on top of things. In an initiative spearheaded by Ian Duncan Smith, Britain has opted to do away with contract tracing altogether. Instead, they keep the pandemic at bay by sacrificing teaching staff directly to the dark gods of pestilence. That weird humming you can hear is the altar of endless wastes, and Chris here is an NQT who's been lashed to it. I've never been on the radio before. This is really exciting. Hi, Mum. Don't get too excited, Chris. It's only a podcast. In a minute, the Dark Acolyte here will plunge an obsidian dagger into Chris's chest. And in return, he of many plagues and faces will keep the pandemic at bay for another 24 hours. Wait, what? I thought this was just a lesson observation. Oh, stop moaning, human. It's only going to hurt a lot. No way! Keith! Keith, is that you? Fallon, what are the chances? Where have you been, man? Oh, you know, keeping on, keeping on. You've got to keep your chin up, haven't you? Look, I hate to interrupt. One sec, Alan. Let me just deal with this prick first. Work, right? That should do it. You're looking good, Alan. Is that a new host? Yes, mate. Pick them up a few dimensions over. You should pop round. We could meet up in the park or something. Uh, sorry to interrupt, guys, but can I just finish up here, please? I'm so sorry. That was really rude of me, wasn't it? Uh, I'm Keith, by the way. Good for you. As you probably just heard at home, Chris is now very dead. Stabbing him in the chest with a giant stone dagger might feel a little hyperbolic to you. But if we can't get our heads around the contact testing question by September, this is the situation we're going to be facing on Earth Prime. The question is just how many people are we going to have to lash to the altar of the economy? We are Red Redmond, reporting for IC News. He's a bit rude, isn't he? They. That's their preferred pronoun. They're gender neutral. My mistake. Brave new world and all that. How does that work for you, attaching yourself to a gender-neutral body? Haven't noticed the difference, to be honest. Energy's energy at the end of the day. You're still with Sharon. Staying on the topic of unspeakable evil, last week big tech corporations like Facebook found themselves once more facing the scrutiny of the American government. As more and more money continues to piss upwards to the figureheads of an increasingly global corporate plutocracy, it's becoming apparent that governments the world over have been too slow to react to a data and tech landscape that's rapidly changing. 
In the States, antitrust laws exist to try and prevent monopolies forming that strangle the supposed dynamism of the free market. And with the news from the latest congressional hearings on that topic, here's Tom King. Facebook, Google, Amazon and Apple. They're the four robot horsemen of the techopocalypse, and last week we saw them appear before Congress to answer questions about the terrifying speed at which they've been conquering this mortal realm. But did we learn anything we didn't already know? And is big tech ever going to stop fumbling for our bra strap? Even though we've told it countless times that we're not that kind of girl. I'm here today to find out. If you watched Mark Zuckerberg testify on Capitol Hill a couple of years ago, you will have picked up on a couple of worrying things. One, Zuckerberg himself doesn't seem to blink. If you cut him, he bleeds milk, and he's got the dispassionate air of a man who just wants to get a xenomorph egg back to the corporation. And two, watching the rusty gears of America's political machine try to keep up with the greased piglet of big tech was fucking painful to watch. When you're trying to hold a tech corporation big enough to buy several countries outright to account, it helps if you could at least appear savvy enough to know the difference between reply and reply all when you're sending a fucking email. Just two years ago, Congress grilling Zuckerberg looked like a court of dinosaurs trying to interrogate an asteroid. The asteroid didn't blink, and it's done nothing to change course since. It's been an embarrassing failure for politicians and legislators the world over that they've failed to keep up with the dynamism of the tech sector. That failure and sheer political ignorance about how the sector functions has created monsters and monopolies. As part and parcel of all the convenience the big four have brought the public, they've also brought us data handling scandals, anti-competitive practices, disinformation and tax evasion. Too often, politically-led antitrust investigations have been concerned only with prices and consumer welfare, rather than the wider impact of big tech on society. The result has been that only monopolies that artificially inflate prices for their customers have found themselves facing corrective action. Last week, congressional hearings were much more focused than those of two years ago. Two years ago, Congress had a blunderbuss full of loose complaints, and that scattergun approach meant none of them penetrated the rubber skin stretched over Zuckerberg's metal skeleton. This time, they brought with them a paper trail of evidence, and their concerns were much more focused. But just how bad could big tech get? The explosive expansion of capitalism's favourite tech darlings has concentrated wealth and hammered small businesses. They've concentrated both capital and the power of data to such an extent that it distorts the way democracy functions. There's only one place that leads, and it's here on Earth Quebec Oscar Ray-Ban Hack 23. Here, a lack of suitable antitrust legislation meant the big four were able to merge into the largest conglomerate the world has ever seen. Amagoog Appface is now the single largest economic power in this entire world. Our personal data goes through their systems, making choices for us and billing us for the things they've decided we want. The result is a place like this. 
a cafe that knows everything about me before I've sat down and bills me accordingly. Good evening, Mr. King. Your armor Gugap face account has been billed for your wants and desires. A drone will be over shortly with your chosen meal, which our records indicate will be extremely high in fats and sugars. We have adjusted your health insurance premium accordingly. Oh, I'm, I'm actually on a diet at the moment. Armor Gugap face thanks you for your feedback, but without competition our word is law and we will proudly ignore you. As we have access to your online browsing behavior, please enjoy this complimentary pornography featuring overweight women of color in dominating sexual roles as you wait. Oh, oh, hey now, um, uh, there's no need for that. I've, uh, I've no idea where you've got that from. That's completely wrong. Armor Gugap face is never wrong. We will now justify our algorithm by loudly recapping your recent browsing history. Uh, no. No, you won't. Uh, I'm, I'm Tom King, reporting for IC News. Fister Act. Fister Act 2. Black in the Habit. Nubian Doms 3. Bull Taser Special. Nubian Doms 2. A Butt Club Adventure. Would you like to hear more? Worrying stuff there from Tom, but there's a good chance he's missing some of the potential benefits of the techpocalypse. True, Skynet may yet end up nuking all of us into oblivion, but I'm willing to bet we'll at least get some new Snapchat filters out of it first. We've now reached the end of our scheduled broadcast. We've rubbed it down to an absolute nubbin, and if we carry on, it's going to hurt next time we need to wee. It's time to say goodbye, and we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. It's been revealed that confidential documents were stolen by Russian hackers out of Liam Fox's personal email account. The Russians also tried to hack Damien Green's, but they couldn't find anything that wasn't pornography. After tweeting that she wouldn't expect the economy to shut down to save her from coronavirus, Sarah Vine begins lobbying the Swiss government to add being married to Michael Gove to their eligible criteria for compassionate euthanasia. Pizza Express threatens to close 67 sites as a result of losses incurred during the pandemic, but will still be offering alibis for sex crimes through Deliveroo. And finally, the New York District Attorney files a motion to dissolve the National Rifle Association for gross financial mismanagement, and we offer them our thoughts and prayers in this tragic and completely unpreventable time. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to help us spread the word. Only with your support, can we reach more people, and build a larger audience. Every episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. Every week we feature guest voices from the UK stand-up circuit. Check out the podcast description to find out who you've been listening to. They're all very funny people, and you should check out their stuff. The IC News main theme is written and performed by Eddie French and the graphic design for the show is by Chunchy.com. Any additional music in the show will always be properly credited in the podcast description, so if you hear something you like, please check that out and support the independent artists who offer their work to shows like ours.